Well, last week we did start a new series that focuses on the fact that there is hope even if you don't feel like it right now. And I know we can all relate to times where it just feels hopeless, times when it seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, times when you don't see any way that your situation perhaps will get better, uh, times when maybe you feel you're wondering if maybe you should even keep going, if you should keep trying, if maybe even if you want to keep living. There are times when things get hopeless. So in this series, that's what we're talking about. Last Sunday, we talked about dark days. If you weren't here last Sunday, you can go to mountaireabaptist.com and watch the message from last week as we talked about dark days. And even in dark days, depressing days, there is hope. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll be talking about noticeable hope. That is, the hope that is within you ought to be so real, so noticeable, that people ask you about why do you have hope in what you're going through. And then on May 21, we'll talk about God's plan for you. That God's plan, even if you're living in difficult times, God's plan is to give you hope and a future. And we'll talk about that. And then on May 28th, the last Sunday of this month, we'll be talking about suicide. Just this week, two teenagers in our area committed suicide. We're going to be talking about that relevant topic of when all hope is lost. But today, I want to talk about grieving with hope. My phone rang yesterday morning at 7.18 a.m. It was Stan Means, one of our church members, calling to inform me that his wife had died suddenly, unexpectedly, yesterday morning. Stan has given me permission to share this, by the way. But yesterday morning, he called brokenhearted to say that his wife had died unexpectedly. Of course, I immediately rushed to the hospital. She had been at, Sue had been in the hospital uh, since September, off and on, mostly in the hospital in the last seven months of few weeks out of the hospital, but mostly in the hospital for the last seven months. The last few days, last, well, this past Friday was her best day she's had in months, and then by Saturday morning, she had died. Dave and I went to the hospital, and we spent the morning with the family yesterday, and before we left, I said to them, I want to have prayer with you, but also want to open the Word with you. And I opened the Word to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 to 18, the text we're going to be looking at in just a few moments. But it is a passage of Scripture that talks about grieving with hope. Now, I want to tell you something. You go ahead and turn to that Scripture. I know you're, some of you are looking for it. As you're turning there, let me tell you something about this Scripture. It's the Scripture that I read to Stan and to his family yesterday. But let me say something about this passage of Scripture. You may not need this Scripture today, but one day you will. That day may come unexpectedly like it did for Stan yesterday. Or it may be something that you see coming. Or it may be that you've already experienced the pain of losing someone that you love. And maybe you're still struggling with that grief. Maybe it's been two, three, five, six, seven years ago. But you still find yourself wrestling with grief and sorrow. You're going to need this passage of Scripture. So I hope and pray that you listen very, very carefully today. One of my favorite descriptions of, of grief is something that was written by Elizabeth Neld. She said, our lives have changed, but without our permission. I think that's a very apt description of death and grief. Our lives changed, but without our permission. That's why the scripture we're going to be looking at today is so important, because, listen to me, all of our lives will eventually change without our permission. The next time that my phone rings, it may not be 
Stan or somebody who you've just heard of or maybe somebody you don't even know in our church, the next time my phone rings, it might be you. It might be you telling me about your spouse or your child or your grandparent who suddenly and unexpectedly, your son, your daughter, who suddenly and unexpectedly died. You know, I wish that the last funeral I performed was the last one, but there's always a next. Always a next. And I realize that as I start today, that this is not a very comfortable topic for most people. I doubt that the next time... Uh, that you get together in your family meeting the next time you go to a party, I doubt that you're going to say to the group that has assembled, hey, let's talk about death. It's just not one of those topics we want to address. It's not one of those topics we want to talk about very much. But thankfully, it is a topic that the Bible addresses, and the reason we need to look at it is because we all have to face it. And sometimes we have to face our grief. And it's their hope when the worst has happened. Thankfully, the Bible gives us some information, some help in that area. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, here's what the Apostle Paul says. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant, and that that word means simply uninformed. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant, uninformed about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left Uh, will be called up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And then he ends with these words, Therefore, encourage each other, comfort each other with these words. Now let me give you the context of what we've just read. Help you understand the story behind this text. The young Christians at Thessalonica had heard Paul preach likely many times about the, the fact that Christ is coming back. They, they knew that he walked the earth. They knew that he ascended back to heaven. But Paul preached with great passion that one day Jesus is coming back. They had heard Paul preach that many times. They were excited about that possibility. They believed that that to, that to be true. And they were very excited about the thought of Jesus coming back until one day somebody raised, apparently in the church, a very uncomfortable question. As they were thinking about Jesus coming back, somebody had this question, apparently, What about the people who have died? Here's what I mean by that. Paul, question. I know Jesus is coming back, but what about my wife who died last year? Is she going to miss it? What about my son who died last month? What about about my grandfather who died four years ago? I mean, if, if they're not alive, when Jesus comes back, do they just miss it? Do they miss out? And so, this is the issue that's driving this text. Is death the end if you happen to die before Jesus comes back? Now, you can imagine how, how upsetting this would be if it was your wife or your son or your daughter or your uncle or your grandparent who died. And they're buried and you're wondering, I know Jesus is coming back, but what about the people that have been buried? And so, do you know what they did? 
they started grieving like everyone else around them. They started grieving like those who had no hope. In fact, Paul says to them, you're grieving like lost people do. You're grieving as if you've got no hope. You see, people who don't know Christ have no way to face death with hope. Have you ever thought about that? People who do not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ have no way to face death with hope. I mean, what would you put your hope in? There's no basis for hope. There's no basis for facing death with hope if you don't know Jesus. And Paul said to these young Christians in Thessalonica, you're facing death like the lost people do. You're facing death like those who have no hope. I want you to understand something what he says in verse 13. Paul says, you need to understand that the death of a Christian is very different than the death of an unbeliever. Look at the text in verse 13. Look how he says it. Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men, that is, those who don't know Christ, who have no hope. So to straighten out their thinking and to calm their fears, Paul explains why Christians can have hope even in the face of grief and death. So let's jump in. I've got about three things I want to tell you in the next few minutes as we pull these things out of the text. First of all, Paul says, Christians grieve with hope because Jesus defeated death. Look what he says in verse 14. Get your pen ready to underline. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. You might want to underline that. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so, because we believe this, we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. This is the bedrock of our faith. This is the foundation of everything that we believe. This is the essence of the gospel. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And then Paul goes on to explain, because we believe that, we can have hope. Because we believe Jesus died and rose again, because we believe that he defeated death, then those who have placed their faith in Christ can defeat death too. So he, he, he describes it this way. Notice how he refers to death for the believer. In verse 13, verse 14, verse 15, I want you to notice how he describes death for the believer. He uses a word. He doesn't call it death. He doesn't say they've died. Look at the word that he uses, verse 13. Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. See that word? Look at verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. Verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. I like the, 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 this description that Paul uses as he describes death or the death of a believer. The death of a believer is this, they have fallen asleep. You see, sleep beautifully portrays what death means for a believer for two reasons. Number one, as a sleeper, it doesn't mean, when you fall asleep, it doesn't mean that you cease to exist. When you fall asleep, you still are there, you still exist, right? Some people have the mistaken idea that when you die, that's the end. And when you die, you just cease to exist, but nothing could be further from the truth. Just like when... Let me put it to you this way. Some of you are going to take a nap today, amen? Some of you are going to take a good old Sunday afternoon nap. 
Do you cease to exist when you fall asleep? No. You still exist though you are asleep. Also, that's what it is for the death of a, of a Christian. When you die, you don't cease to exist. It's like you're asleep. But the second reason he uses this phrase, fall asleep, is because of this. It also means this. When you fall asleep, you intend to wake up. You don't sleep permanently. You're going to wake up. The, the very fact that you're asleep implies that you're going to wake up and get up. And Paul is saying that's what happens for a Christian. When a, when a Christian dies, it doesn't mean that they're in the ground forever. There's coming today, they're going to wake up and get up. It's a picture of the resurrection. The very fact that you have fallen asleep implies that you're going to wake up. And you're going to get up. Can I get an amen from anybody? You see, this is a beautiful picture of death. We believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep, he said. But he didn't just say they fell asleep. Look at this next phrase. They have fallen asleep. What's the next two words? In him or in Christ. Not just that they died, but they died trusting Jesus. Now, everybody look up here. I'm going to tell you something. Verse 14. This. This is where you can place the name of your loved one who knows Christ and who has died. This is, this is where it's talking about your mom or your dad or your grandparent or your son or your daughter. This is where it's talking about your loved ones who have died knowing Jesus. It says, they have fallen asleep in him. Doesn't matter what the circumstances around their death, they fell asleep in Jesus. Doesn't matter if it was a peaceful death or a tragic ending. If they knew Christ as Savior, they fell asleep in Jesus. You see, they didn't just die. They fell asleep in Him. Now, what does that refer to? It refers to believers who have died trusting in Christ. And they fell asleep in Him. They fell asleep trusting in Jesus. Maybe I can describe it to you this way from my own personal family. On January the 11th, 2017, my father-in-law, Warren Hosier, fell asleep trusting in Jesus. Just a few months ago, around 86 years of age, he fell asleep trusting in Jesus. On January the 2nd, 2011, my mom fell asleep trusting in Jesus. On April the 7th, 2000, my dad fell asleep trusting in Jesus. January, I think it was January the 14th, 1983, my mother-in-law fell asleep trusting in Jesus. See, Christians die differently than non-Christians. And because Christians die differently, the Christians left behind grieve differently. We grieve differently because we understand death is not the end. We grieve differently because we have hope. Because our loved ones did not just die. If they knew Christ, they fell asleep in Jesus. They fell asleep in His arms. You see, we all are going to die, but how we die makes all the difference. Number two, 
Paul tells us, Christians grieve with hope because our loved ones will be the first to be raised with Jesus. Now, this is where you need your thinking caps, and I need to make sure you're focused. So walk with me through, this, through these next two verses. Verse 15. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, that's us, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. There's that word again. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. In these two verses, Paul is seeking to straighten out the the thinking of the people there and trying to calm their fears that their loved ones who are in the grave may miss something at the second coming. So Paul's trying to help them understand how it all works. So he, in essence, outlines for them, kind of gives them an order of service. This is what's going to happen. This is the events and the order of the events. Now remember, their fear was that their loved ones who had died before Christ came back would perhaps miss out. And so Paul begins in verse 15 by saying, according to the Lord's own word. Now we have no record of the Lord saying anything like this in the Gospels. So this apparently was a direct revelation to Paul from Jesus. Paul was in essence saying this, let me tell you how the Lord explained it to me. According to the Lord's own word, this is how the Lord explained it to me. And so this is what he said is going to happen. He said, first of all, Jesus is coming down one day. Just like he went up, just like he ascended into heaven, one day he's coming back down to the earth. Look at it in verse 15. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who fall asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. So first step is this. There's coming a day when Jesus Christ will come down from heaven. Anybody wanting to see that? There's coming a day when he will come down from heaven. Step number two. There'll be a lot of noise when he comes. You say, where do you get that? Well, if you look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. Say, Pastor, what does all that mean? I don't know, but it's going to be loud. There'll be a lot of noise when he comes. So get this picture. The Lord Jesus himself will come down from heaven. There'll be a lot of noise. It'll be evident that he is there. His, his return will be announced. It'll be evident, a lot of noise. And then it says, number three, the dead believers will rise first. It's right there in the text. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now let me explain to you again. I need your thinking caps on. I need you to follow closely. Let me explain how all of this works. When somebody dies who is a Christian, my mom, my dad, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, when someone dies who is a Christian, the Bible teaches that their spirit immediately goes to heaven. The Bible says in Philippians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Your spirit immediately leaves this body and goes to be with the Lord in heaven. But we have to do something with the body, don't we? This container, we have to do something with it. So we either cremate it or we put it in the ground. And so we deal with the body. The body is just the shell that that houses our spirit. And so when we die, the body stops functioning. Our spirit immediately, when we know Christ as Savior, our spirit immediately goes to be with Christ in heaven. But that's not the end. Look what's going to happen. According to verse 14, 
when Jesus comes back, remember I told you Jesus is coming back. When Jesus comes back, guess what he's going to do? He will bring the people who have died with their faith in him, the spirits of those who have died, will come with him. Look in verse 14. Go back to verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God, watch this, this is amazing. God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. See, it's not just that Jesus is coming back. James Shorter is coming back with him. And Mildred Shorter is coming back with him. And Warren Hosier is coming back with him. And Betty Hosier is coming back with him. He's going to say, hey, James, come here. Mildred, come here. I want to show you something. This is going to be great. Y'all, come on. Come on. I want to show you something. And thousands and millions of people who have died with faith in Christ, they fell asleep in Jesus. When Jesus decides to come back, he's bringing them with him. What a day that will be when he brings them with him. And then it says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now here's what that means. When he brings them back, the first thing he's going to do is resurrect their body. When he resurrects their body, the Bible teaches they will be transformed into a glorified body like His. And I always get this question. People ask me all the time this question. Well, preacher, what about people who are cremated? You know, their, their ashes were scattered across the ocean. What about people? I want to tell you something. Listen, listen. I want to tell you something. If He made us, made us out of dust the first time, He won't have any problem with it the second time. And we're not talking about we're not talking about reconstruction. He's not going to put your body back together like the old body was. Listen, I want something better than that. Uh, he's not going to... You didn't need to laugh that hard. I, just, <laughs> I didn't know it was that bad. <laughs> but it's not reconstruction. He's not going to put your body back together. It's not reconstruction. It's resurrection. He will resurrect your body into a glorified body. He said, Pastor, where do you get that? Go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15. Uh, look at verse 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown, that is the body that is buried, is perishable. We know that. It's, we, we see it all the time. The body that is sown, the body that is buried, is perishable, but it is raised what? Imperishable. It's raised different from the body that we sow. Something has happened, right? This is what it's telling us. Something happens to the body. You place it in the ground one way, but when it comes out of the ground, when it's resurrected, it's different placed it in the ground, it was perishable. It's come out of the ground and resurrected. It's imperishable. Verse 43, it's sown, it's buried in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown, it is buried, a natural body. It is raised, a spiritual body. It's different. Now skip down to verse 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, these bodies that we have, the, the body that you have right now, it, 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 doesn't, it will not exist in the kingdom of God. It cannot inherit the kingdom of God because it's, in, it's imperishable. Nor does the, 
or it's perishable rather, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Something's going to happen. We're going to be changed, all of us, those who are in the grave as well as those who are still alive when Christ returns. How's that going to happen? Verse 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, when there's this lot of noise, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead, your, your loved ones who, who know Christ, the dead, their bodies will be raised imperishable and will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Isn't that amazing? So when he comes back, bringing the spirits of those who have died resting in Christ, he'll bring them back. He will resurrect their bodies, and in the twinkling of an eye, they'll now have their glorified eternal bodies that they'll have for all eternity. Then the question is, yeah, well, what about us? We were worried about them. Now what about us? What about us when we're here? That brings us to the third point in verse 17. Christians grieve with hope because we look forward to the day when we are changed and we are reunited. Verse 17, going back to 1 Thessalonians, verse 17, here's what he says. After that, after our loved ones have received their glorified bodies in that twinkling of an eye, after that, we who are still alive, that's us, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds Let's just stop right there. What a day that'll be. And all of a sudden, we'll be called up together with them. Reunited with them. With my mom and my dad and my father-in-law and my mother-in-law and your loved ones who know Christ. When he comes back, he will not only resurrect their bodies and give them a glorified body, but we get to all of a sudden be caught up together. The word is rapture in the original language. We, it's the only place it occurs in the Bible. We'll be caught up. We'll be raptured up to be together with them. And look how it describes it. Not only to, with them, to meet the Lord in the air. Anybody want to meet Jesus? And then he says, and here's the good news. And so we, we being us as well as those who have died and gone on before us who know Christ. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Again, Stan gave me permission to share this. But yesterday when I first got to the hospital, it was just me and him. He was grieving as any husband would. And he was talking to the head nurse. She was filling out the, the paperwork that she had to fill out. And in, with tears coming down his cheeks, he said to her, she said something about his grief, and he said this to her. He said, it only hurts temporarily. It only hurts temporarily. 
And she tried to comfort him and try to say, oh, honey, it's going to hurt for a long time. It's going to hurt maybe for months or years. She didn't understand what he was saying. What he was saying was, yes, the grief is real, and the grief is going to be there for a while. It might be there for a long time, but it's still temporarily. Because he knew there was another day coming. He knew there was a day when we'd be called up together with them in the clouds to be with the Lord forever. And I want to say to you, if you're grieving today, or if you have been grieving for the last several months or the last many years, I just want you to know it only hurts temporarily. This is the hope we have. I want to close by reading chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10. Here's what he says. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. That's our hope. That's heaven. He died for us so that we, whether we are awake or asleep, we'll live together with him. Billy Graham, my hero, said, Life is hard, but God is good, and heaven is real. Life is hard, but God is good, and heaven is real. See, it's so easy to get caught up in our own present problems, to get caught up in our own loss, to get caught up in our own struggles, and forget the promise of heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. But our hope isn't just for this life, is it? Our hope is for eternity. And our hope is made possible by Jesus. Hebrews 6, 19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. As an anchor for the soul. So I close with Romans 15, 13. And I close with last week. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you join me as we pray? Every head bowed, every eye closed. For some of you, I understand. Understand that your grief is real. Your hurt is fresh. Your pain perhaps feels like it's never going to end. There is hope. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ. That's those that you know, your loved ones. Dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we, that's us, who are still alive and are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And he closes with verse 18. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. It's interesting, he doesn't say, therefore, let these words encourage you. He said, encourage each other with these words. Sometimes we need to remind one another. 
of what is coming. Sometimes you as a grieving husband or wife or a grieving parent, sometimes you have to remind somebody else there is hope. Encourage one another with these words. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I have to say this to you with all sincerity, with all compassion. I want you to understand Those who know Christ die differently than those who don't. They die with hope. Fall asleep trusting in Jesus. If you don't know what that is, if you don't know what that's about, or if you would like to know, if you'd like to experience what it means to trust in Jesus, if you're ready today to give your life to Him and believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins in your place so that you could spend an eternity with God so that every sin you've ever committed, Josh did it so well in the song when he said Calvary covered it all. Calvary has covered it all. He, Calvary has covered all of your sin. And God simply says, now would you like to receive my forgiveness? If that's you, as we stand in just a moment, would you come down front and let me introduce you and explain to you, introduce you to Jesus and explain to you how he can change your life. Father, in the name that is above every name, thank you for your love and your mercy and for the hope that we have even as we grieve.